All right, guys, we are back with our teaching in the book of Genesis. Last time we were here, we were dealing with the covenant that God had made with Abram. And that is the cutting of the covenant, or we can call it a confirmation of the covenant that God had made. And it was basically chapter 15 in response to Abram's words to the king of Sodom, how that he didn't want to take anything from that particular Gentile or any of those peoples in the land, lest they would make a claim that they were the reason for Abraham's blessing or Abram. You know, I keep saying Abraham, Abram, same person, guys. And so God was well pleased with Abram's response. And so he came to Abraham by, uh, by his word in a vision that's in chapter 15. And God told Abraham that he was his shield and his reward and his reward will be great. And there, when Abram opened his heart to, to God about not having a son and God, therefore, made he restated that promise that Abraham would have a seed and that he would have many descendants, as many as the stars in the sky and that ultimately God himself would give them the land of promise. God confirmed this covenant to Abraham through this particular, uh, it was an ancient way of making a covenant by the walking through the pieces of the, these animals. And we said, stated it last time, and we want you to always understand it. This was an unconditional covenant. Abraham did not have a part to play. Abraham did not have promises to keep. God made this promise to Abram. That's why we call it unconditional. So it was based upon the faithfulness of God. So, and in this covenant, God also revealed a certain things that would come upon the descendants of Abraham, that they would be going to slavery and that they would be misused for 400 years. And after that, they would come from the people who had enslaved them with great Wealth would come back into the land of promise. And then God restated those borders and then, then the, the borders of the promised land and the nations that would be conquered at the time of Abraham's descendants when they came back after those 400 years. We know that they would come back under Moses and complete. Well, in a sense, if you let me use that in a generalized sense, they would cut continue this conquering of the promised land under Joshua. Okay. But anyway, so now we are in chapter 16, a little time, not, we don't know the exact amount of time has taken place between the, the, the issues, what has just happened with the confirmation of the covenant in chapter 15 and the things that are about to take place in chapter 16. But we know that some time has passed, but now, what God has just, we had just looked at a triumph of faith. Notice what I said, guys, a triumph of Abraham's faith to be praised, to be celebrated. And now we go from a triumph of faith unto uh, the pits of failure. And that's what we're going to look at in chapter 16. All right. So let's begin. Chapter 16. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So let, let's just, let's talk about it. We don't put, we're not going to put a lot of time 
on all of the particulars, but we want to bring out again, as always, since we're teaching through the book of Genesis, the highlights that are important for us to remember. We remember Sarah, who was Abraham's wife, and that the Bible had told us as early as, I believe this is Genesis chapter 11, that Sarah was unable to bear children to Abraham. All right, she was barren. And we also know about the Egyptian handmaiden whose name we're introduced here is Hagar and this handmaid when you say handmaiden we mean literally slave guys a slave and we remember that when Abram when he had first gotten into the land that's in Genesis chapter 12 and in the issues coming up to 13 but Genesis chapter 12 when he had first gotten into the land a famine God allowed a famine to go into the land Abraham departed the land, went down into the land of Egypt. There he almost lost his wife, Sarah, who was taken into the harem of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And then later on, through the power of God, they were released. And but nevertheless, as a present to Sarah, his new wife, that is the king of Egypt, he gave her many things. One of those things were, were that he gave her was a servant by the name of Hagar. When I say servant, guys, think slave, this slave, this Hagar is that slave that Pharaoh had given to Sarah that once Abram returned back into the land, they also brought all of those gifts and all of those servants that Pharaoh had given them. So she returned with them. Okay. And now this Hagar becomes integral into the lives of Abraham, Abram, and Sarah and how she's going to play out in chapter 16. So now we're introduced to these players, Sarah, Abram, and Hagar. Verse number two. So Sarah said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham, Abram, listened to the voice of Sarah. Let's do three because it's also, it helps us to understand what's going on too. And Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Abram's wife, Sarah took Hagar, the Egyptian, her handmaid and gave her to her husband, Abram as his wife. Okay. Now let's take it apart and look at what's going on. So now we see now the issue here is this. All the while God had been speaking and making these promises to Abram concerning having a seed that is a son and descendants. Okay. He never said how that is through Sarah. But now here's the thing. Abraham, Abram only had one wife, Sarah. So the natural and rightful and what is clear, the assumption to be made is the child will be had through Sarah. So there is no excuse for what is taking place at this particular time. There is no justification for Sarah's action. Whatever, what is taking place here is simply an evidence of unbelief. It is an evidence of un on both of them parts. When I say both of them, Sarah, as well as Abraham, Sarah instigates the situation. Abraham goes along with it. And it is an indication of a lack of faith and a failure. Remember, I just told you guys what took place in chapter 15 concerning Abraham, how his faith was something to be uh, applauded and even celebrated. And now we, he is now, he is going from the heights of faith 
down into the pits. I don't want to, maybe I'm being a little too harsh if I say the pits of unbelief. But what I am saying is this, it does not look good for Abram at this time. So let's go on. Let's go back to verse number two. Let's look at it. Let's work our way through it. So she says, now remember verse number 10 says that, I'm sorry, verse number three, verse number three said they were in the land for 10 years at this time. So remember, we recall Genesis, what is it? Chapter 12, I do believe that Abram was what? 75 years old when God had called him to go into the land of Canaan and he arrived there. Okay. And we also remember that Sarah was 10 years younger than Abraham. So that means at this time in Genesis 16, where we are now, Abraham is now 85 years old. Sarah is 75 years old. So what is important? Abram is old and getting old, but still he's not beyond the, the length of time that he's able to make a child. He can still, Abraham, Abram can still produce, make a child. Okay. But as far as Sarah is concerned at 75 years old, the understanding is she is now beyond menopause. Okay. She's the time, the time for her having, you know, the monthly cycle or whatever, and being able to conceive and bear children has departed. And so Sarah is now not believing God at this. And that's what she should do. That's what, and, and we're going to see that later on at the end of this. That's what she should do, but that's not what she's doing. She's not believing God. She's not turning to God. She's not praying or asking God for instruction or guidance. She's not doing any of that. She is now beginning to work according to her own way of thinking. She's working it out. And that's one thing we have to understand with respect to the promises of God, especially here, because there are principles of salvation. And I hope you guys understand that principles of salvation means things that are related when it has to do with saving us, saving us. Okay. So those principles are even at work here. So there are principles of salvation at work concerning the promise of God. Cause always remember our salvation is through by, by way of promise or in other words, by way of faith, by way of faith. That's what I mean by that. So with all of these things, that is the promise of God, the promise of God can never be accomplished with human hands. There is nothing that we can do in order to feel fulfill or to make, make it happen. Make it happen. Make the promises of God. We cannot help it. It is something that God alone must do. God alone must fulfill his promises. And here in the text, as we understand it with the promise that God has made to Abram about giving him a seed, God alone must give him the seed. It is improper for Sarah or, or even Abraham to try to come up with some situation in order to achieve the promise of God. There is nothing we can do to achieve what God has promised. And again, remember I just said about that principle of salvation, there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Salvation is the work of God alone. And see, see the relationship, but nevertheless, so she is saying, the time of women for of women for me is now beyond. So now legally, legally, and here's what you have to understand as well. According to the customs, 
and the traditions of that time in that day. She did it. It was right. When a woman could not bear children herself, she could take a slave. She could take a slave and she could give a slave as a wife to her husband for the purpose of bearing children. And then what the, what the, the wife would do, the head wife, that is Sarah, would do is she would adopt that child. That child that was um, created by the husband and that handmaiden, she would adopt that child and the child would be called by their name. That is by Sarah. Uh, you know, we know Abram goes first. Abram and Sarah. It has become Sarah's child. And that's what she is proposing. OK, it was very it was commonly done. It was the custom and tradition of that day. And if you looked at it legally, Sarah is not doing anything wrong or amiss. All right. But even though it's not wrong or amiss, according to the world, according to the legalities of the system and customs at their time, it's not wrong. It's wrong in the sight of God. Why? God promised to give that child. And clearly when God made that promise, he only had one wife. That is Sarah. So Sarah was the intended woman through whom the child should be given. So therefore they are not acting in faith and that makes what they are doing wrong. So let's continue on that. So what does she do? I'm still in verse number two as she introduces her handmaiden so that I may what it says, I may obtain children in the Hebrew. It literally says that I might be built up by her, that I might be built up. But that's the idea obtaining the children through her and the mistake, the not only mistake, that's a light term, the sin of Abram. It takes us all the way back to the sin of Adam. Notice what it said. Abram did what he listened, hearkened. He listened to the voice of, of Sarah, that is, he listened to the voice of his wife. A wife is a wonderful thing. A beautiful thing can be a wonderful counselor, but when the wife does, when she counsels against the word of God, we don't supposed to listen. But what I was saying just a second ago was, it takes us all the way back to Adam in the garden of Eden. What did God do? God gave him a commandment. Don't take of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. What happened? His wife, his wife gave him to eat. He followed his wife. And what happened when God showed up? God said, what have you done? And when God brought him into judgment, he said, because you listened to the voice of your wife. So that was the great era of Adam. And now we see the same failure in the, in the life of Abram, listening to the voice of Sarah, his wife, because why? Her counsel is contrary to the wishes word of God. It breaks it. So there's a time you listen. There's a time you do not listen and you remain the head of your house, the head of your family following after the commandments of God. But anyway, so we continue. And then we get back to verse number three, where it just simply lets us know that they were in the land for 10 years of time. Abram was now 85. So time has passed. And so now here's the worry that's beginning to happen in the mind of Sarah. That's the manifestation that we see. I'm getting old. I can't do it. So therefore, since my body cannot do it and I cannot do it, I'm going to find a way on my own to fulfill God's promise. And, and this will create the worry 
worst thing in the world. And I hope I remember by the time I get to the end of this video to show you another issue concerning consequences. Consequences for failure to believe, consequences for disobedience. And these consequences can follow a long time in life and even beyond life. When you dead and gone, the negative consequences can still remain. But anyway, so what happened? Verse number three, let's look at that part again. We know it's 10 years. So Abram's, uh, 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 they were in the land. Abram's wife, Sarah, what did she do? She, she took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. Now, let me talk about this part because this is an interesting part too. Remember, Hagar was a slave. She was Sarah's slave, okay? But, and legally, she could do this. So what she did was, she elevated Hagar. She elevated Hagar by taking her and making him his wife. So she, Hagar is here called the wife of Abram in order that he may literally bear legitimate children by her. Now, the thing that I want you to see is there are two things that could have happened. See, there in this particular time, and you'll see it many times throughout the scripture, especially the namely, namely, in the Old Testament, women were sometimes taken as concubines and women were sometimes taken as wives. Now, there is a distinction between a wife and a concubine. A concubine is not necessarily a wife. Now, she can be sometimes the terms rally, but sometimes the terms are, are used loosely interchangeably when you say concubine and wife. But in the technical sense, and, and, and this is what's happening here, a concubine is not the same as a wife. She is simply given or taken by the husband or whatever for sexual pleasure. He didn't marry her but he is just simply taking and using her for sexual pleasure. But a wife has an elevated and a legal status. So what Sarah has done is she has elevated a once slave girl and given her a legal status as a wife. Now, that's a big deal. So Hagar is no longer a slave. She has certain rights privileges, and even somewhat of authority as a wife in the house of Abraham and no longer the slave that she once was. All of this done by the machinations of Sarah. All of these things she will come to regret. But anyway, so now let's go to verse four. And he went, that is Abraham. He went into Hagar. She conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. So as soon as, so he, he married her and he, of course, the sexual contact ha happened between Abraham. He had sexual contact with Hagar and it seemingly wasn't long at all before she got pregnant. She conceived. And as soon as Hagar got pregnant, notice what it said. She began to act differently. Her attitude towards her mistress that when I say mistress, that means Sarah. Her attitudes towards Sarah had now changed. Okay, well, this is what happened. This is how it used to be. When a woman in ancient biblical times could not have children, this was considered very negative. And she was usually, I don't want to use the term despised, but she was not well thought of. 
She was not well thought of at all as if something's wrong with you and you can't bring children. You can't bear children for your husband. And so there was a sense of a being despised by women and by, by commonly by women. It was a common thing. It was a very common thing. But apparently it was not done at first by Hagar. Apparently, even though Sarah couldn't have children, Hagar didn't harbor these feelings by her. But as soon as Hagar married to Abraham and had and her said, and she now now she's pregnant. Now all of a sudden she's looking at Sarah at the corner of her eyes and she is now despising Sarah. In other words, if I were to say it today in a, in, in a certain way that we would understand, look at you. You can't even have children. What a kind of a woman are you? A woman who can't even make children for See, now this is her attitude has changed. But remember, who, who did all of this? Sarah? Whose bright idea all of this? Sarah, and you can't leave Abraham out either because the Bible said he listened to her. He had to go along with it. He, he could have said no. I'm not going to take Hagar. No, this is not what, but not, that's not what. So the fault is just as much his as it is hers. But even more so, it is Sarah. Why? Because she instigated it. It was her bright idea. And now it's beginning to fall apart as that once slave that she had, who, now, who she exalted to what? The wife of Abraham. And now she has a serious attitude problem with Sarah. Let's see what happens. And Sarah said to Abram in verse five, may the wrong done to me be, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. <laughs> now notice she invite the Lord into this situation now. To, may God get you, Abraham, for what happened. Well, it's not his fault completely. You started all of this. But notice what she said. May the wrong be done unto me. Referring to the mistreatment that she is now getting from Hagar. Okay? And then she simply just reminds Abram, I gave Hagar to you to bring children for me and for my benefit. And now look how Hagar is treating me. And then she brings God in and says, I mean, let God judge. It's in the sense of who's right in this and who's wrong. <laughs> how confused we can sometimes be when we make a mess of our lives. And then we invite God. To, and that's what's, that's what's going to happen. And, and, and can I be a little premature in this, guys? So often we ask God to get into the cleanup business. We ask God to get into the salvage business. What do I mean when I say that? God gives us clear, precise instructions how to live our lives, how he expects us to do and what he wants us to do. Instead of us doing what God clearly states for us to do, we decide like Frank Sinatra to have it our way. We do it our way. We make a mess of our lives and then we fall on our knees and we ask God to clean up our mess. Dear God, please get into the salvage business and the mess that I've made up my life. Can you fix it back up so that it can give you glory? Sometimes God makes us suffer and suffer long for that. That's the discipline of God. It's also the wisdom of God. He makes us suffer in that thing and, and mercifully, mercifully, <laughs> he, he helps us out. He, but anyway, let me go on. Let me go. On, let me go. So verse number six, Abram's response. But Abram said to Sarah, behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly 
and she fled from her presence. So what happened? Abram said, well, technically, even though she did give you, you gave her to me as wife, technically she is still your slave. And since she is your slave, you have the right and authority to do with Hagar whatever you want to do with Hagar. So Hagar says, she your slave, do what you want to do with her, right? And notice immediately, what did Sarah begin to do? It says she treated Hagar harshly. This word being treated harshly, this is the same Hebrewism. When I say Hebrew, the Hebrew wording, okay? That is basically used when we look at the book of Exodus, when we see how the Egyptians treated the children of Israel. What's so crazy about this? In the Exodus, you see how the Egyptians treated the children of Israel harshly. Here, you have a Jewish woman treating an Egyptian harshly. <laughs> All right, and, and here's the thing. She has that authority to do so, to make her a slave again. Even legally at that time, she could make her a slave again. But that doesn't make it right. Treating her bad this way. First of all, see, it's, a, it's a mess, ain't it? It's a mess, isn't it? Okay, let's look at it. Hagar acting a fool, and now Sarah acting a fool. If I asked you a simple question, who's right? You come up with really nobody's right in this whole thing. It is a mess. And so now Sarah is on her guard. She's roughing her up and, and it's not. And, and, and think about the thing. The woman is pregnant. The woman is pregnant. You know that that's not good for Sarah to act that way. But nevertheless, she treats her so bad until Hagar, being pregnant runs away. She runs away. Where are you going, Hagar? And what are you going to do? Those questions are going to come up. Okay, let's keep going. Now, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Okay, so now we see what's going on. So now she's going away, and now we have an introduction. Let's talk about a few things. This angel of the Lord. This is the first time that the particular phrase is being used, angel of the Lord. Here we have a manifestation. You've heard me use the term, a theophany. A theophany. It is a manifestation of God himself. Okay? And here it is referred to as an angel of the Lord. Why do I say God himself? Because even later on in the text, Hagar herself will say, I saw God, I talked to God, and she's going to call the place where she did all of these things, the well of him who sees me, and, uh, and the whole idea of God, of God. Ishmael, the name that's going to be given, heard of God. This is a theophany. And sometimes, and I don't want to get into all of that right now, but this is nothing more than who we believe to be the second person of the Godhead, that is a manifestation of Jesus. This is what is sometimes called the pre-incarnate Christ. Pre, before, incarnate, flesh, Christ, before he appeared in flesh, through Mary, before that time. Jesus is still God and he has made an appearance at this time. And as a matter of fact, all of such appearances throughout the Old Testament 
are the pre-incarnate Christ, which the ones that relate to uh, angel of God or right here, angel of Yahweh, angel of the Lord. All of that is referring to that at this particular instance. Okay. So this is the first time that we see that particular thing. And it says he found about spring of water in the wilderness. Here's the thing that I want to say here on the, by the spring on the way to Shur. Now Shur is on the way to Egypt. Remember who Hagar was. Hagar was an uh, Egyptian herself, a slave. Okay. And she's basically doing what she, uh, what's what comes naturally. She's going back to Egypt, but before she gets there, mercifully, the angel of Yahweh, the Lord God himself, God himself as a theophany, the angel of the Lord stops her. And then we continue. Verse number eight, he said to her, he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress. Now notice verse number eight. I like that. He said, so he said, he begins the angel of the Lord. God questions Hagar. Notice how he references her. No, Hagar, Sarah's maid. I, I don't want to talk put a lot of time into that. I cannot, I can't overlook it though. Even though she was once his wife, Sarah made her a slave once again. Okay. And even though all of this stuff is happening as it is, God refers to her in accordance to the order of relationship that exists. What do I, why am I hammering this point? God is a God of order. However things are, however things are supposed to be, God does not get into how you feel. God don't care about none of that because the one thing that we always do, we start talking about how we feel and what we think and somehow what we feel and what we think is supposed to countermand God's order, God's way and the system that God said. God didn't get into all of that type of foolishness. When whatever ordered way of relationship that God has determined, no matter what you feel and how you feel, God will hold you to that. And notice exactly what he's holding Hagar. He says, you know what, Hagar? Do you know who and what you are? You are Sarah's maid. That cannot be changed. Okay? And with that in mind, Watch as he continues to speak and as he tells her what to do. All right, watch. He asks her two questions. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? She only answers one question. I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. <laughs> she didn't say where she was going. I don't think she quite knew where she was going except for the, the general area of going back to Egypt. But nevertheless, she only answered the one question. All right, so let's move on. Nine, then the angel of the Lord said to her, now watch, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Did you see what I just said then? You know, no, he said, he says, okay, where does she belong? Back with Abram. So he says, go back, go back. And notice, and it's still particular, return to your mistress Sarah. And it was Sarah, the one that was mistreating her. And notice who God told her to go back to. 
to the very one who once mistreated her reason why she had ran away in the first place. Isn't that interesting? You said it's some things you just simply cannot deny about God and his way of doing things. Notice. And then he says, submit yourself. And simply in other words, obey, fall in line. You are, that's, you are Hagar, the, the servant, the slave of Sarah then you need to act like that's what you are. Submit yourself to this authority. And always remember, in such submission, there's always a blessing of God. God is simply a God of order, okay? There is no confusion with him. He even respects the orders of relationship of men. And notice, it is done even here. So he tells her to go back home and be obedient to Sarah. Forget all that despising your mistress. Forget all that high mindedness that was developing with you. Even though you're pregnant with Abram's son, forget all about that and just simply act like you're supposed to act as Sarah's servant going on. Okay. So moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her and in these things, now here's the blessing. Remember, I always told you there's always a blessing in obedience. Verse 10, he said, what? I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Might as well keep reading. We'll come back to it all. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live to the east and that is in the mist when it says to the east and all of that. That I literally is in the face before the face or in defiance. He will live to the east of all of his brothers. Okay, so now let's go. Here's also a, a blessing that is given to Hagar as well as a prophecy concerning the descendants that she will have through this child. So what happens? This is the, this is the only time that I can recall where God said to any woman, God has never to my knowledge said into any woman, I will multiply your descendants that he made that promise to a woman here. He remember how he makes it, made it to Abram early. We've been seeing that all throughout Genesis since chapter 12. Now he literally makes this to a Egyptian woman. Okay. That there'll be too many to count. Then he begins to talk about that particular child that he's ha he had. This is the first time also in scripture where God speaks of the child and says it would be a son. First time for that. This is also the first time where God actually gave a name to the child. So Hagar, see, that's a great blessing. Just go home, go home, submit to the authority of Sarah. And the whole point of God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to just do what I say. I will bless you, right? And then he said, the name of that child will be Ishmael. The name literally means God hears, heard of God. It means God has heard. In other words, why? Because God has heard Hagar. He's heard your affliction. See, notice, even though God sent her back home to Sarah, right? He's not denying that Hagar has been mistreated. God simply says, I acknowledge Sarah didn't treat you right. Now you were not saying you did everything right, but indeed Sarah was rough on you and God himself. He, he's merciful. 
he's pitiful. He, he understands it. And so now he says, name him Ishmael. God hears. Okay. God hears. But now again, let, let me make it look, look at the same time, this thing will be a double edged sword. God hears because remember, let's go all the way back. When we get to the, at the beginning of the chapter, when Sarah concocts the plan, why? Because we got, she's old now because she's 75 years old and Abraham 85 think they're running out of time. She thinks she, she, Sarah has already run out of time, right? And Abraham was about to run out of time, right? But what did they not do? Don't talk to God. They didn't talk to God. They didn't. And notice God hears. Notice, it's going to become almost like a slap in the face to Abram and Sarah. Because why? All you had to do was talk to me, Sarah. And guess what I would have had? I would have heard you. All you had to do was talk to me, Abram. Abram, you ought to know. I hear you. But you didn't talk to me. You made your own plan. And this plan is going to backfire dramatically. As, he, as it already has begun to happen. But anyway, let's finish this thing. So he begins to prophesy, share that concerning uh, how those descendants of Ishmael will be at verse number 12. When he says a wild dunk of a man, and it's, it's, the, the language is not to be understood like in our day, a wild man. Mm. But it, the wild donkeys of that day basically would, would migrate and go to different parts of the of the land. And so basically what he's saying is this, the people, the Arabs, the Arabs, the people that will come from Ishmael are going to be nomads. They're going to be traveling people like like the wild donkeys of that day, going from place to place, going from place to place. That's what he means by that. OK. And then he begins to talk about the nature of the people, the descendants of Ishmael. His hand would be against every man. That speaks of aggression. That speaks of, in other words, as they meet in people, they gonna be, they will be the aggressors. They're going to be the one to start problems, start fights and things of that nature. You got it? And everyone's hand will be against him. That simply means retaliation. So what's going on? The descendants of Ishmael are going to be aggressive people. They meet people. They're going to be attacking them and everything else. And what are the people who, who've been attacked by Ishmael's descendants going to do? They're going to turn around and attack Ishmael's descendants. That's what I mean. He will, he will be an aggressor. His hand going to be upon folk and other folks' hand going to be against him. And then finally it says he will live in the face of his brothers. That's the last part of verse number 12. And just simply talks about the, the, the difficult. When he says the brothers, we know that later on that brother, that particular brother will be the son of Abraham, right? Namely Isaac and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob, the children of Israel, who, who are the brothers right here, literally the brothers, Abraham's son, the brothers of Ishmael, what does it say? He will live in defiance against them. That simply means there will be issues. There will be, um, I'm looking for a particular word. They won't get along. Let me say it that way. They won't get along. And here's the point that I was trying to make. The descendants of Ishmael, the Arab people, even in the days of Abraham and beyond, even today, some of the very Arabs who are the descendants of Ishmael today, 
to this very day, there is such an antagonistic relationship between them and the Jews. To this, the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, the people of the promise, the one that God talked about, they don't like them. They war against them. They, they just don't like them. They just don't like them. Now, notice what the point that I was trying to bring to you guys early. This little situation, this lack of faith with Sarah and Abram, this problem not only created a present problem for them, it created a problem that has even lasted over 2,000 years, even to this day. Their lack of faith. Why am I putting this point forward? Oh, here's the practical matter, guys. We have to be careful. You, you, you really have to strive to live in obedience to the command of God and, and do what the and live like God, live in faith. You got to learn to trust God because sometimes when we are disobedient and we do things, you can be disobedient and do things. And it's not going to simply create a problem for that moment. It can sometimes create a problem years and years and years later in your life. And that problem can be traced back right to the moment when you were disobedient to God. So sometimes it just really pays, even if you don't like, well, I, I, we, as God's people, we always want to love the word of God. But sometimes we struggle with it. Even when, if you feel you're struggling with it, just obey. Why? Sometimes you can stop from creating a huge problem for yourself. Okay. And that's exactly what happened with Abram. Right. And even later, and I don't want to talk much about it here. Even the very Hagar and Ishmael that go back for long, that's going to be another problem again with Sarah. And next thing you know, she's going to want to put them out the house, put them out, both Sarah and her child problem. But anyway, let's figure it. Let's finish it. So what happens? Verse number 13. Let's go bring it to a close. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her there. Notice she called the name of the what? The Lord who spoke. Once again, remember I said that this angel of the Lord is not simply an angel. Notice now he, this angel of the Lord is now simply called the Lord, the Lord. That's why we call it a theophany. Theophany means a manifestation of God's presence in some way. This was God himself. Okay. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Notice what she says about him. You are a God who sees me. You are a God who sees me. El Roi, the God who sees me. So she knew it was God. Have I even remained alive after seeing him? And so, and remember, it was always a taboo. People believed that if you saw God, you would die. Okay. You saw God, you would die, but that's not true. God can reveal, God can make himself seen in such a way that we don't die. Now, if we saw God as he is, and remember that's what, and I'm, I'm, I probably shouldn't even go here, but since I said it, I'll go. If we saw God as he truly is, that means to see God in the fullness of his glory, then we would die. Our nervous system can't handle it. We would die 
instantly. And remember, that's what happened when Moses himself, because Moses had been seeing God's presence. He had been seeing that. And he knew that that presence he had been seeing was limited. He knew that. And so he asked God, he says, let me see your glory. And God responded to Moses. What did he say? No man can see my glory and live. No man can. See. So that's the whole point. So people had always had this taboo in thinking if you saw God, you would die instantly. Later on, we're going to see the same thing being said by Jacob. As I saw God, I can't believe I didn't die. You know, whatever. But the whole point is God can present himself and manifest himself. And, and can I say it this way, guys, and hide the glory. And just let you see certain things. And how did God make himself seen or visible in the Old Testament many times? As the angel of the Lord. In other words, they thought he was an angel or some kind of really special man or whatever. Okay. But anyway, so let's go. 14. Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. And I probably messed that pronunciation up. Behold, it is between Kadesh Barid. Okay, so let me talk about that. Then I'll bring 15 and 16 together. So the well, remember the angel of the Lord fought, found her by a well. The, the, the Be'er, the name of the well, when you say Be'er La Ha'i Roi, that literally translates the well of the living one who sees me. The well of the living one who sees me. So she literally named the well after this miraculous visitation of God. Remember, she is calling God. What? The one who sees me. That means sees my affliction. Remember God said that? So, and this is the will. And God is also understood and called the living one. The one in whom all life is. That is eternal life himself. So the will of the one who sees. So she named the will after that miraculous manifestation of God speaking to her concerning this child. Right? So what happened? So clearly she returned home. And the assumption is, remember God says, submit yourself to Sarah. The assumption clearly seems to suggest she obeyed. She went home. She submitted. Verse 15 and 16. So Hagar bore Abram a son, just like God said, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So now let's bring it up. So she went home. She submitted herself. She bore the child. She had the baby. Right. And notice that Abram called the name of the son. Abram called it because no, the naming of the son, name of the child is always the father's prerogative. But notice he called Abram, called him Ishmael. Remember that name slaps them both in the face. God hears Abram when there's an issue, ask God. He hears Sarah when there's an issue, ask God. He hears. And we see here's where the believability is in the story. What do I mean? No, don't you know? Of course, because it's in the scripture. So we know, we know what Hagar went home, told the story, and Abram had to believe that God appeared to her. Why? Because he gave the boy the very name. It's not for Hagar to name the child. No, 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 no. It's for Abram. But when Abram got ready to name that child, he named him exactly what Hagar told him. Where did Hagar get that name from? From the angel of the Lord, from God Himself. So. It, it kind of slaps him in the face 
for their unbelief. And that's what the name of Ishmael constantly does. It reminds Abram of his failure, not in a negative way, not in a negative, because we need the discipline. We need to be reminded of when we fail in hopes that the next time we will do better. All right. Enough of that, guys. Thank you for joining me on that one. The next time we come back, we're going to look at that covenant that God will make with Abram, or should I say the sign of the covenant for the children of Abram, which will be the sign of circumcision. All right, guys. Catch you next time. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe.